Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And we begin uh, a two-week walk through that great Hall of Faith chapter this morning in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. It's like walking down a, a long hallway with portraits hanging on your left and your right. And below each portrait is a story. Now, if you took the time to read the story and just not look at, you know, look at the pictures, you'd see there's a common thread connecting them all. They believed the promises of God. Each portrait represents God's own, all the portraits really together, represent God's collection of people who endured great trials in their life for his sake, and yet uh, in his strength endured as lasting examples to people just like us. And surprisingly or not, even the best of them weren't perfect people. We know from their stories they had their missteps, their weak moments, their lack of perfect understanding of God's will in their lives. And he actually spoke to many of them. And when they did, or when he did, they believed, even when they couldn't begin to fathom the how or why of a bigger picture that only God could see. I was reading a discussion group the other day that began by asking the question, what would you do if God appeared in front of you? What would you do if God appeared in front of you? Of course, the answers were all over the board, right? From um, how would I know it was really God and not an alien or some drunk guy, to uh, I would fall to my knees and thank him for Jesus. Some people's answers showed a, a, a little Bible knowledge, and some people demonstrated their total lack of it. A lot of them imagined it would be their, you know, finally they'd get their opportunity to vent, um, like this one. I would say, you know, darn, where have you been all this time? Things have gone to heck here since you left. You're probably wondering how we let it get this bad, huh? Well, gee, I mean, you should have known that we weren't ready to go unsupervised. You didn't see this coming. Then there were all the people who wondered why God seems to allow bad things to happen to good people. Right? Untimely death, maybe, or disease, or war. Uh, Or they wanted to ask if prayer works only if you're in church. Some people denied it could ever happen because God only exists in our minds. One guy left an incredibly long recounting of the time God actually did appear to him. And he wasn't the only one. Some would ask for forgiveness, while others would ask for an ID or maybe a miracle. A few said it would be a reminder to take their medication. Some were more practical. They figured that if God really did appear to them, then he must have a reason, something he needed them to do. And by the collection of names we have in, in, in Hebrews, in this chapter of Hebrews especially, they might not have been far off. You know, people suddenly face to face with God. Would it be a complicated or a confident moment for you? I think for God it wouldn't be complicated at all. You know, he would see believers or he'd see unbelievers. People who had faith or people who didn't have faith. People of faith are more likely to ask God in a challenging moment, you know, what are you going to do with this? Others are more likely to ask, why are you doing this? This morning and next week, we're going to be talking about some of that mysterious and, and uh, yet that powerful thing uh, we call faith. Our lesson from Genesis uh, focuses on the faith of one of God's uh, uh, his own man, really Abraham. Uh, Abraham didn't ask why either. Even when God called him to, to pick up his old life and hit the road toward a new land, he would show him. He just started packing. We marvel at stories like these. We marvel at people who, 
who step up and step out when God calls them, even though the path before them is still unlit. And we wonder, could I do that? It's like, you know, you or I stepping into an elevator and discovering that as the doors close, that there are no buttons, that you have no control. Your first instinct might be to panic, but then you remember that you know the one who does have control. And wherever that elevator is about to take you, he's already there. That's faith. The Jewish converts to Christianity this letter is addressed to were feeling a little out of control themselves. They were demoralized. They were discouraged. Christianity was proving to be a lot tougher than they imagined it would be. It was a total game changer. They were beginning to think they might not be ready for it. You know, love your enemies, uh, pray for those who persecute you, turn the other cheek. Uh, it's, it set aside centuries of tradition to conclude that you're saved by grace through faith, not works. By faith, not works. And emphasized a new but troubling kind of spiritual freedom. But they'd taken the leap and now they were getting it from all sides. There was the persecution of Christianity from Rome. There was the persecution of Christianity from the temple leaders, maybe even some of their own friends or family members who were still worshiping in the temple and offering their sacrifices there. The Jewish religious establishment uh, they'd grown up with and its leaders they'd once admired and looked up to had turned against them. And many of these new converts were ready to turn back, to leave the uneasy, uncharted waters of the Christian faith behind for the more comfortable, uh, familiar life of works and moral effort, what we would look at as the heavy yoke of the law. They were struggling, and they were faced with a choice, trying to appease God by their own efforts in a religion grounded in more than 600 rules and regulations, or simply trust him by putting their faith, their unseen faith in Jesus' own righteousness, who did everything required for them. That's what this scriptural sermon, which is really what the, the book of Hebrews is, a, a sermon, uh, tries to address. Just before our lesson this morning, the author reminds them from the chapter preceding us, it's chapter 10. It says, sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. When all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew you had better things waiting for you in eternity. But we're not like those who turn their backs on God and seal their fate. We have faith that assures our salvation. That last phrase, we have faith that assures our salvation, that must have had them wondering, you know, what is faith? That it allows us or maybe even causes us to, to endure all these things. Ever ask yourself that question? What is faith? What difference does it make? We know in the big picture it makes all the difference between life everlasting or, or everlasting separation from God. But in the day-to-day -day kind of thing, what difference does it make? You know, tough times had forced early believers to confront uh, that same question, and it's usually tough times that lead us to ask that same question today. The very next verse, the opening verse of, of, our, of our lesson today, uh, really answers that. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That single verse is one of the most profound in all of Scripture. Faith is what allows us to finally pray for a loved one. Please, Lord, allow them to have a good end. Many of us have prayed that exact prayer. 
The poster boy for faithfulness to God in the early chapters of the Bible is Abram, or as he was later called by God, Abraham. And poster boy is probably a stretch. He was more like the poster patriarch. He's a man of faith so up in years that when God announces he and his wife are going to have a child in their old age, a child through whom the whole world would eventually be blessed, they're tempted to just laugh. Now, it wasn't because they, uh, the promise of a savior, they doubted the promise of a savior. No, they, they doubted their ability to conceive a child. You know, why not? Even the apostle Paul would later describe him as being as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. <laughs> it's in Romans chapter 4. Paul wasn't one to mince words, and no one could ever accuse him of being woke. In fact, it's because of his advanced age and his nomadic life spent following God's lead that Abraham becomes a prototype for those who would always be God's kind of people. People who follow God in faith as opposed to the other kind of people who would rather sit still in fear and put their faith in the safety and false security of of things that they know. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is more than just a feeling. It's more than than just a hope. It's the certainty of a loving God in 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 a better place. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is a driving force. It's at the core of who we are as children of God. Faith believes God simply because God is God. Faith believes the promises because God can't lie. It's not in his nature. Now, God is a lot of things. He's eternal. He's unchangeable, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, present everywhere, holy, just, faithful, good, merciful, gracious, and above all, God is love. Those attributes are pulled from verses all over the Bible. In fact, they're listed together in your small catechism, the explanation to the first article of the Apostles' Creed with the scripture references. But there's one thing you won't find on that list, one thing that God isn't. He isn't a liar. You can believe the promises. So faith enables a a believer to worship God. In fact, it drives him or her to thank and praise him, not only for past and, and, and present, but for future blessings as well. Just as if we were already in possession of those blessings. God's promises are that sure. Now, we all go through tough times, and sometimes we sort of uh, get the feeling like, like an old barn, you know, weather-beaten and sun-baked and, and dry-rotted and wind-blown until we're leaning so far to one side we can't imagine what's holding us up. Then we realize that it could only be God because no one else is capable of overcoming the seriousness of the situation that's pulling us down. Faith connects us to the power and promises of God. The circumstances may have changed 2,000 years later, but the words of this letter are timeless. Those who don't have faith can't see past the physical world around them. They're limited by their immediate circumstances, and, and they're blinded to what God is doing. But once faith opens their spiritual eyes, they can see the, the spiritual realities that transcend this world. And our hope is no longer in ourselves and what we can do, but on God and what he can do and what he has done and what he's still doing and, and all around us, even through us. Our hope is in his strength and in his faithfulness. Now, the world laughs at faith and its promises, sees the Bible as a collection of myths and fables. 
And so it prefers without apology to cling instead to only what can be seen and felt. And yet that same world operates on some version of faith every single day. Just not always faith in God. Faith is central to our lives. I'll give you an example. You go to a doctor whose name you can barely pronounce and whose degrees you've never verified. He or she gives you a prescription you can't read. You take it to a pharmacist you may never have seen before. He gives you a chemical compound you can't begin to understand. Then you go home and you take the pill according to the instructions on the bottle, all entrusting sincere faith that sometime in your future, uh, your health will get better because of it. Faith is no stranger to people. We're no stranger to faith. You approach an intersection trusting that the, the stoplight that's showing you green is showing people on the cross street red. You get to an ele- into an elevator installed by the lowest bidder and you push the button trusting it won't plunge you to the basement in a free fall. Everybody has faith. Something. We demonstrate it every day. But for faith to be saving faith, for faith to be your best friend who wants only the best for you, it has to be biblical faith. And it has to be oriented toward the one true God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 assures us, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now Jesus suffered and died to pay the price for the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. But what makes what he accomplished for the world on Calvary our own is faith. Faith is the hand that grasps the promise. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The word translated assurance there is sometimes translated substance or uh, confidence. It comes from a word that means to support or to hold up, to, to be a foundation. Uh, saving faith is really all those things, isn't it? But saving faith is not is blind adherence to a, a, a random set of beliefs. People have faith in Muhammad and the Quran. They have faith in the Book of Mormon or the many gods of Hinduism. Maybe even a little something you whipped up on your own, cafeteria style. You pick a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one, a scoop of this one, right? Strong faith, maybe. Place in the wrong god, a false god. A lie. Just having faith in something won't get you out of this world alive. Just being spiritual isn't enough to save everybody spiritual. Just ask. They'll tell you. We were created with a spiritual yearning. But that yearning will only be satisfied when it locks on to Jesus Christ. True God and true man. The second person of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you don't get that part right, then you're treading in deeper waters than you realize. And there's no lifeguard, and the sharks are circling. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed. Whatever you believe isn't enough until you know the right one to believe in. Everything else is just smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. Something else faith is not. Faith is not a tool used to twist God's arm to manipulate him into pouring down health and wealth. When you hear those kinds of promises, you should start seeing red flags. Bad theology can sneak into anyone's life, but it can be very dangerous when it becomes bad doctrine, when it becomes your confession. Bad theology says that faith is all we need to lead a a healthy, happy, prosperous life. Give a dollar, get ten back. Give a hundred, get a thousand. 
That with the right faith and the right amount of it, you can realize the promise that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, that every mountain in your life will crumble and blow away. That faith is the answer to every illness, every financial crisis, every troubled career. That's not what our lesson says at all. Those Old Testament heroes of faith heard the promise of God and their lives were a foreshadowing of God's promises fulfilled. But they never lived to see that fulfillment. And many of them suffered trials beyond our imagining. Abel's sacrifice was more pleasing to God than his brother Cain's because it was offered in faith. Noah was a righteous man of faith. He'd never seen a worldwide flood. He didn't have a clue what an ark was. But he believed God's promise. And he preached God's warning when he was building it for over 100 years. And nobody listened. And when the flood came, only Noah and his family were saved. Peter uh, relates the flood waters to the waters of baptism. The earth was cleansed of evil by the flood waters of wrath, but the waters of baptism are the cleansing waters of God's grace. Able to save all those who experience the sacrament and receive God's gift of forgiveness and faith in Jesus as their Savior. Now, the promise of, of faith for us is that because God sent his own son, Jesus, to rescue us from sin and death and the accusing power of the devil, there's a place already prepared for us in God's perfect place. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is a wonderful power for the present. It leans on God and his strength in this life. But this saving faith is really all about the future. And while we don't know everything the future holds, we know that the God who invites us to step into it with him does. And he promises to walk through it with us every single step of the way. That's just the, the first half of that chapter of Hebrews. Just some of the blessings of God's gift of faith. And for that, you know, we give thanks. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.